I invite you to turn with me to Joshua 24. This is our last study in this book, and we'll be preaching on something else in the coming weeks. Probably won't start a new series until after Easter, which is not far off. But today we're talking about this last chapter. We're not going to read the entire chapter, just down to 28. And this is a, a report of a covenant renewal ceremony, and I'll explain more about that in a moment. But let's read God's Word. Let's stand together as we read, if you're able. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers and chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and, I, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And in faithfulness, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers or the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And who did those great signs in our side and preserved us in all the, way, all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we, we, will, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, 
You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it, is, it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us. Please be seated. Well, this is a perfect passage for a day when, when we have done a baptism. Uh, of course, baptism, as we said, was a sign of the covenant we have with God. And it's an awesome opportunity for us to, uh, to renew our covenant with the Lord uh, for those who have the sign of baptism upon them. And so this is perfect because what we have before us is a report of a formal covenant renewal ceremony. And I've given you a handout, hopefully you've got it, that uh, has all the elements of a covenant renewal ceremony. And uh, what, what I want to do real in these next few minutes is just go through these elements and show you uh, what's going on here in chapter 24 and then apply it to our lives as we go along. And, and as we read about them renewing their covenant with the Lord, renew our covenant with the Lord, our relationship with the Lord. Well, first thing I want you to see is, is they've gathered in a very special place, and that's significant here. Uh, this is uh, in Shechem. And Shechem is the first Palestinian site, first part of Canaan ever mentioned in Genesis. Uh, when uh, well, we, we read in uh, Genesis 12, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God basically has is, is called Abram out of uh, false worship of, of idols and pagan gods and has called him to himself and he's going to make a great nation out of him. And when he gets to Shechem, he says, I'm going to give this land to you and your descendants. And now, Joshua 24, that promise has been fulfilled to the people. They're standing in the land. They're, they're eating olives from olive trees that they didn't plant. And they're, they're reaping the harvest that they didn't plant. And they're enjoying, for the first time in their lives, being settled in a place that they can call their own. God is faithful to His promises. So 
to renew this covenant with the Lord, they're gathering at the very same place where it all began, really. It's Shechem. And so that's significant. And so what's happening here is, uh, is this covenant renewal ceremony. And in the ancient Near East, treaties or covenants between a sovereign, a king, or some superior, uh, those, those covenants or treaties were uh, displayed in a standard format. They were established in a standard format. And I've given that to you in the, in the outline. First, there was a preamble, and then a historical prologue, then some stipulations, then a, a written record of the whole thing, and then some witnesses, uh, and then finally uh, a laying out of blessings which attended keeping the covenant or the treaty, or curses that attended breaking the covenant or treaty. <clears throat> and that's going on here, or it has gone on, and, and there, we're getting a written record of it in chapter 24. So first of all, <clears throat> excuse me, the preamble introduces the king. It uh, just says who is actually in charge here and who's making this covenant. Notice it says there in verse 2, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, the word Lord there is Yahweh. It's God's personal name that was revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Uh, that's his name, the God of Israel. Now, to whom is he speaking? He's speaking to Israel. Uh, all of Israel is there before him. I am Yahweh, the God of you people. I'm your God. Uh, that's who's speaking. You don't have another God. I'm your God. And so that, that's significant, that, they're, that, that he's identifying himself as their God. And what a privilege it is for God to be their God. As we think about God's covenant with us, isn't that wonderful that, that God, God has bound himself to us? The God of this universe, the Almighty God, has said, I want to be in a relationship with you. And He's given you the sign of baptism to authenticate that and to share all the precious promises that He's trying to deliver to you through Christ. So God is our God. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that believers in Christ have been grafted in to the people of God. We are, we have the God of Israel because we're Israel now. We're, we've been grafted into the, to the, to the olive trees, it says in Romans, along with uh, the people of God from the Old Testament. And so we're part of the same people. So the God of Israel is our God. And we can say that with confidence because God has made promises to us and He wants to be in a relationship with us. Isn't that wonderful? Well, the second thing we see in this this format of a covenant renewal or covenant establishing ceremony is a historical prologue. And what happens in the historical prologue, which you'll see in uh, verses 2 through 13, it recounts the king's past gracious dealings with the subjects. Here's all the things that I've done for you. Uh, so that's very important to notice. The initiator of all this is the king, the Lord in this case, he has reached out and called Abram to himself. He has taken them from idol worship and false gods, and he has brought him into the promised land. 
He has given him uh, Isaac and Jacob and Esau. Uh, he has established the people of God in Exodus. He rescued them out of slavery. He was with them through the wilderness wanderings, and He has now delivered them into the place that He's promised that He would give them. All of these things the Lord has done for them. And that's the first thing that they're reminded of. And it needs to be the first thing that comes to our minds for us here today. What has the Lord done for you? What has He done for you? Now, in all these historical uh, notations that he's given the Israelites here, he's reaching way back into their heritage. And, and probably, as I mentioned before, most of us have a Christian heritage. Very few of us were called out of just where, where our parents were not believers. Most of us have a, a heritage, and it probably goes back generation after generation after generation of believers in the Lord. And if not, that's, that's, that's great too, because the Lord has rescued you from darkness and brought you into His family. So the Lord is gracious in His dealings with us. And He has gone to the ultimate extent uh, for us so that He can have a relationship with, him, with us. He Himself took on human flesh, came to earth, and lived a perfect life in our stead, and died for our sins on the cross, and rose again to eternal life so that we can be uh, overcomers. We can conquer death. And we had a funeral yesterday. And there was a, a, a real note of joy at James's funeral because we knew he knew the Lord. The Lord had taken him from darkness into light in a very tangible, real way, late in his life. And he loved the Lord. And he was the, one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life, always full of joy. But the joy that he brought and the joy that he experienced in his latter years was nothing compared to the joy that he experienced last Monday when he died and went to be with the Lord and was in his very presence, beholding the face of God in light and glory, just beaming with joy beyond any description, beyond anything that we could imagine. That's what the Lord does for us. Uh, he gives us all these wonderful promises, and there's so much more that he has for us. So remember that today. What has the Lord done for you specifically? Count your blessings. Name them one by one, the old song says. Let's remember God's goodness to us. God is always good. Even when we don't think He is, He is good to us because He loves us. Well, the third thing that happens is the stipulations. And we see that in verses 14 through 24. Uh, this explains after what the Lord has done, what the King has done for the people, uh, what the people are supposed to do in return. How should the people react? Verse 14, Joshua says, Therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So fear the Lord. Don't take Him for granted. Respect Him. Look at what He's done for you. Have regard for Him. Serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Sincerity means without blemish um, entirely. You know, if you're sincere, you really mean it. If you serve the Lord and really mean to serve the Lord, be purposeful in your service to the Lord. Put away false gods. Well, you say, well, I don't worship 
idols. I don't have any idols at my house or anything like that. And I don't go to other temples where they are worshiping other gods. But we do have idols of the heart, things that we love and embrace from the world that we use in place of God, things we want in comfort when we should be going to God for comfort, things we look to for for our joy in life when we should look to the Lord for joy in life. These are idols of the heart, things that we're putting in the place of God. So put away the gods. And notice what he says. Uh, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, verse 15, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he says, if you're not going to serve the Lord, then choose one of these other pagan gods to serve. And, and really, Joshua is making an argument from the absurd. You think about what he's actually saying here. So, so you can go back and serve those gods that Abraham's forefathers served, ignoring everything that I did to bring you to this place through Abraham when I pulled him away from those gods. I, I took him out of that and look at all the things that, that, that you have now because I did that. And if, if you don't want to serve the Lord you, and you'd like to go back to that, that's absurd. If you'd like to go back to those gods, they didn't give you anything. I'm the one that's done it. I am your God. Or he says, you can go worship the gods of the people that you just beat, that you just destroyed. You know, when you think about, uh, when you look at the, the Old Testament and the, the battles between people groups there, um, they really believed that if, if my army beat your army, that means my God is greater than your God. You remember that scene where the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant and they take the Ark of the Covenant and they put it into the temple of Dagon? You know, it was a way for them to say, now the God of Israel is going to serve the God who uh, is, is bigger and badder than he is and we're going to put this in the temple as a kind of a trophy for Dagon's victories. Well, when they get back in the morning, Dagon's have his arms and legs broken off and he's face down before the Ark of the Covenant. See, that's what we're talking about here when they're in their context. You just defeated all these people in this land that I promised to give you. Uh, and if you don't want to serve me, then go serve the, you're going to go serve those gods that just got whipped by the Lord. And you remember we read all through this, who did the fighting? The Lord says, I fought for you. I was with you. And when the Lord wasn't with them, they lost. So the Lord has given them all this, and, and here's Joshua saying, you know, your other options are not great options. And the same is true for us today. Are we going to go serve the vain gods of this world, the things that, that people value in our world that's so materialistic and empty? Or are we going to serve the one God the creator of all things, the one who knows how it all works and who has uh, blessed us with so many blessings. It's absurd for us to worship other gods than this one. Well, look at the people's response to this. They said, well, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. They get it. You know, that would be stupid. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers from the, up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did all those great signs in our sights and preserved us in all the way we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites and the, who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. So that's the right response. 
But Joseph, uh, Joshua gives this strange reply, doesn't he? Verse 19, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. So Joshua is not saying that God won't forgive their sins, their, their normal sins. He's, he's saying if you forsake the Lord and turn to other gods and commit apostasy against this holy God, he's not going to forgive you. In other words, Joshua says, are you sure? God is a holy God. God, God is, a, is a God that has, has got requirements. Uh, he, he wants your obedience. And if you wander away and go worship other gods, he's going to take it personally. Are you sure? And thankfully the people said, verse 21, no, but we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Well, that's a good example for us today. As we recount all the goodness of the Lord to us and all that he's done for us, how will we respond? Will we have respect for him and serve him with sincerity? Um, will we put away the gods of this world, the gods of this age that tempt us? We know we fail like these people, and they're going to fail. They're going to be driven out of the land because in a few generations they're going to forsake the Lord and they're going to lose the land. But God is so intent on having a people for himself, he sent prophets to these exiled people and said, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Uh, you have been unfaithful, but I remain faithful to you. Isn't that good news? That when we fall, when we break our covenant relationship with the Lord, He's still ready to welcome us back. He still calls us to repent. And he says, I'll put my spirit in you. And that's what he said to these people through Ezekiel, through Jeremiah. And of course, Christ came and has given us the Holy Spirit. And he's written his law and truth in our hearts. So that's the stipulations, the third thing. And then we've got the written record preserving the covenant agreement. We have God's word. It reminds us of all the promises of God, all the victories of God, and all that God has promised to do for us in the future. And then fifthly, we've got the witnesses. You know, uh, he set up a large stone so they would be reminded, but stones and monuments don't really keep us faithful, do they? It's a, it's a remembrance of the fact that we've made that profession of faith. Who are we? Who do we belong to? That should be the witness against us. That we've stood up and said, yes, I'm going to follow the Lord. Do you remember saying that and meaning that? And then finally, blessings and curses. God has unimaginable blessings stored up for his people. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ now. For those who are in relationship with him. Now, he doesn't lay it all out here. Uh, if you look at other, other um, covenant renewal ceremonies, chapter 8, there's one. Joshua chapter 8, Deuteronomy has one. Exodus, I believe, has one as well. Lays out in great detail the blessings and curses that come uh, with forsaking the Lord or being faithful to the Lord. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. So there's the blessings and curses. The same is true for us in this sense that if you are baptized, if you uh, have that covenant sign upon you, 
We'll use that as an example here since we've been talking about baptism and doing a baptism this morning. Then you are obligated to, to embrace the Lord as your Savior. He is your God, not these other gods that you're tempted to serve or that you are serving now. If you continue to reject Him, then you're going to face the judgment. What God has done is, is provided a way for His people to have no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who are in a covenant relationship with Christ Jesus, who have embraced Him by faith. So if you're baptized today and you haven't embraced the Lord as your God, do so, because there's the curses, the judgments that come upon rejecting this good, faithful, merciful God who longs to have you in His family, who longs to bless you in ways that you can't even imagine in this life and for eternity. Consider these things and say, along with Joshua, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to be faithful to you. As we renew our own covenant with you today, we pray that we would continue to be faithful to that. And Lord, when we fall, renew it again and again and again to keep coming to you. Thank you, Lord, that you're gracious and merciful, that, you're, that your mercies are new every morning. We need mercy every day because we're sinners and we can't do it on our own. Just like the Israelites couldn't win any battle on their own, you had to fight for them. And Lord, thank you that you have fought for us and continue to fight for us and long for us to be in relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to know the joy of salvation, to taste and see that you're good. Lord, we taste great things uh, from the world that we like and enjoy. They're sinful, but we don't know what it is to really taste and know and the joy of salvation. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us those things. In other words, Lord, I'm praying that you would revive us, stir up our love for you. Our hearts are so cold, and we have a weak resolve. But I pray, Lord, that you would grant us the joy of salvation, that we might know what it is to rejoice truly in the Lord. And I pray that for everybody here today who's listening and who will listen. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.